and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, it is our policy focus entitled Remote Work. We're going to look at the COVID-19 epidemic, which, yes, brought about many poorly conceived top-down government policies, but also brought about at least one clear positive, and that is remote work. So we're going to look at the benefits and some of the drawbacks, as well as what state governments and the federal government can do to help remote workers and independent contractors. And here to break it all down is the author of The Policy Focus, Ellie Krasny-Cohen. She is a visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum, and she is the founder of Krasny Strategies, a boutique policy consultancy specializing in research and strategy. She regularly writes for outlets including The Washington Examiner, Jewish News Syndicate, and The Daily Caller. Ellie, a pleasure to have you on the program this week. Thanks for having me back. Great to see you. And this is being released the day after Thanksgiving. We're recording the week of the Thanksgiving. And I want to say one of the things I'm most thankful for is the fact that I can work remotely. I think we're both in that same camp, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. A couple of years ago, um, I packed up my bags in Washington and moved across the Atlantic Ocean. My husband's French. So I work from Paris, France. And I think you work from somewhere equally as beautiful, although different. You're somewhere in the south of the United States. South Carolina. I want to say as beautiful as Paris, but South Carolina is, is pretty. I will say that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So um, I myself have benefited a lot from remote work. I know a lot of the team at Independent Women's Forum is remote, and some of my clients, um, including the Hamilton Lincoln Law Institute, they have remote teams. And these are some of the, I humbly think, some of the most effective groups in the conservative and right of center movement. So we're so fortunate to have that work-life balance, but also achieve that impact on policy and culture that we're trying to get. And with Independent Women's Forum, I even remember when they went from the brick and mortar building for their business to remote work. It's something that happened long before COVID-19 with my business yeah. district meeting my team has always been remote. And so I think we already had that built-in benefit of having our operations work in a remote way. And then COVID-19 just brought about this ability for us to develop that even further. So I, I've always appreciated IWF because they've provided that remote side to things. And so I was hoping with this policy focus, and first of all, I want to let people know that they can go to IWF.org if they want to download the remote work policy focus. I thought we would start with some of the data. Now, of course, with COVID-19, we're learning so much about what actually took place in that time timeframe, the unintended consequences of so many different facets. But when it comes to remote work, let's break down the data first. How many people worked remotely prior to the pandemic and how many do now? Sure. So prior to the pandemic, it was around five or six percent of all workers in the United States worked remotely. Um, now the numbers vary a little bit by industry, but it's definitely more than doubled and is at least 12 percent. And an overwhelming majority of workers, even if they aren't remote, want some kind of remote situation. I think it was Forbes um, had a survey and it was something north of 90 percent of workers want some kind of remote work opportunity. And of course, this does not work for every sector. Not every job allows for remote work. Uh, for example, those in the service industry. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that because I think what we have seen with the remote work, it really has created a bigger chasm between white collar work and blue collar work. What is it meant for the service industry that so many other people are working remotely, but yet they need to be there in person working their job? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I am glad you asked this. So the OECD did a survey or excuse me, they did a study. And what has essentially happened according to this study is we almost have kind of like a two track labor market. So to your point, there are the people with jobs like ours who are fortunate enough to work remotely. And then there are folks who are everyone from um, a trash collector to someone who's a nurse in a hospital or someone who works in workplace services in a building or a, a waitress, and they are required to be in person. We can look at Washington DC as an example because um, it's the one I know the very best, but as many businesses were forced to close, right? Because Washington DC created those policies workers went remote and it did impact these service workers who either lost their jobs or they were required to still go into work in cities that were becoming increasingly shuttered and increasingly dangerous. So there is this um, two-track economy and I wanna make sure that as we have these conversations, we don't forget those people who um, are doing really important work and they don't have the luxury of working from home. And I'm glad you brought up Washington, D.C. So I lived in the D.C. area and in D.C. proper the last few years of uh, right before COVID-19. So I was there for over 20 years. And when COVID happened and then the shutdowns continued, I found it fascinating and just extremely sad to look at the different areas of a city where places where you would have the residents, you would still have the restaurants and shops open there, but places mm -hmm. where government workers were, it was like you could see tumbleweeds going through. It was so empty. And those areas have not come back. And so I don't know if we have a data point for it or not, but when you think about the lunch shops, the coffee shops that were around places, buildings in, in urban areas that service people who came into work, have most of those businesses had to have had to shut down? So a lot of them have. Um, candidly, my study did focus a little bit more on workers and businesses, but I can speak to some of the impact on cities. So for example, when you see those big four lease signs in buildings, what that means is real estate um, developers are not getting revenue from those businesses. So we are going to see some ramifications uh, in the real estate market as this continues. And candidly, I do think it will as more and more people go remote. Um, but yes, some of these businesses did have to close, whether it was lunch shops, uh, salad shops, things like that. So there is that um, there is that impact on our urban areas. And I think we're just going to have to see over time what those final data points are, because I don't think they've been fully realized at this point, um, mm -hmm. the long-term effects. But let's focus on the benefits. That's what we're here for, because there are so many benefits. Just yes. generally, what do you find are the benefit for employees? Sure. So there are lots of them. And I went into this study kind of eyes wide open. Let's give it a fair shake and see what happens. But there were three things that really stood out to me in terms of benefits for employees. So first and foremost, it is for families, including fathers. A center at Yale did a study and found that fathers who work remotely contribute on average at least 30 minutes more of household work per, um, per day, thanks to remote work. Um, obviously, I'm not really on the side of people who think that women are doing too much emotional labor or men are somehow bad. But I think that, you know, reasonable people can agree a policy that helps all parents and all people in relationships contribute a little bit more to their relationships in their home is absolutely a net positive. There was a similar article that came out in the New York Times in a, earlier this year that also mentioned that this applies to men working remotely 
from all different income brackets. So even if they're more of a, a lower income IT person, they still reap those benefits of contributing to the household. The second and, benefit is, oh, go ahead, please. No, please go ahead. Um, the second benefit, and it's one that I experience, is for people who are of a religious community that maybe has rituals and traditions that require special preparation like Shabbat, working from home is a game changer. I know one woman from one of my networking groups that said, um, it's so wonderful on Fridays when I can put the challah in the oven while I'm taking meetings and then I'm ready for Shabbat. And this can impact Muslims too, people who are observing Ramadan and they might be fasting during the day. It just might be logistically easier to work from home. Um, the last group is people who are living with disabilities. October was um, National Disability Awareness Month. People with disabilities are experiencing the highest employment rates they've had in the, um, in the past 10 years. And I think it's just wonderful now that we can have these flexible working opportunities that give so many people a chance to contribute to the workforce while meeting the needs of their daily life. So um, benefits for dads, benefits for religious people, benefits for people with disabilities. And I'll just say from the, the female angle, whether one is a mom or not, one of the benefits I find as well is that I can throw in a load of laundry while still working. Instead of taking a traditional lunch break, I can vacuum the floor. There are different things that I can do during the day. It's almost like work is there and I'm still going to be on call, still going to get my work done. But you can just pick up some of those daily things like the internet people need to come over and you're there and yes. you don't have to take a day off work or you're sick, but you can still work because it's all either via Zoom or email. There's so many of those side benefits, aren't there? Absolutely. Um, and I love that you mentioned even people who don't have kids. My husband and I don't have children, but remote work can really benefit single people too. I kind of mentioned this earlier, but um, for those people who might be living in Chicago, but their family lives in Cleveland, or like me lived in Washington, DC, but my family was in Iowa, remote work is really incredible around the holidays because you can maybe fly home a day or two earlier or later and first and foremost, spend some extra time with your loved ones, but you can also save a little bit on airfare and still be a productive employee. I think that sometimes when we think about flexible workplace policies and how they benefit people, we oftentimes um, immediately think of married people with children, but um, single people have families too, um, and they want to spend time with them. So I just, I wanted to offer that because it wasn't that long ago. I was living alone in Washington, D.C. and would have to fly home to visit my family, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in a similar boat. I want to bring up another thing that you put into this policy focus, which I thought was interesting, something I hadn't thought of. And you said that remote work has reduced sexual harassment in the workplace. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So there was one study that found um, in a company that they did have a reduced number of sexual harassment uh, complaints at that company. Now, first and foremost, the company, and I mentioned this in the report, should address those complaints. They should not be happening no matter what. But I do think this is a signal that when people are able to work from their home, they have that peace, they have that quiet, and it gets us out of all of the problems, whether it's the everyday workplace politics or something substantially more damaging, like out-and-out -out workplace harassment. So getting people home, they can really focus on the job at hand rather than dealing with inter too much of the interpersonal uh, relationships. 
And so I think the positives, we've covered it, and I think a lot of people have seen that firsthand, but I want to talk about some of the negatives. And mm-hmm. one of the negatives that I have seen is what this has meant for younger workers. And here's here's my example for that. So I think at my age bracket, I'm in my <laughs> early 40s, remote work worked really well for me because I'd already built my network. And so we can still continue that network online. I'd been mentored before. So I'm at Mm -hmm. that stage where I don't need that in-person touch points as much as a younger person. But for younger people, there's so much you learn by just observing others that have been working in a career much longer. Has this had a lot of negative impact on those entering the workforce for the first time? Absolutely. So it has impacted them. And that's where I think perhaps a hybrid um, situation can work really well. Remote work doesn't have to be all day, every day. It could be something like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, you get the idea. So employees still get that in-person interaction uh, that especially early career folks benefit from. I would also encourage business owners and nonprofit leaders to consider other ways people can connect virtually. Um, I don't think we need to do the Zoom happy hours anymore. We were done with that in 2021. But you can still have meetings where people connect. You can have a Slack channel um, or a signal group where people share articles. You can have email threads. And I think also just talk about it openly. Um, So maybe match younger employees with a a more senior mentor so they can still get that one-on-one interaction in that coaching, even when they're in a virtual space. And just on this as well, I was curious with all of this, what are businesses and employers doing when it comes to trying to get people back into the workplace? I think that there is this push by businesses where maybe they are, they've bought a building or they're leasing a building, they want warm bodies and chairs um, so that they feel like they're getting their money's worth. I, it seems that that hybrid version you've mentioned is what they go to because it, it seems like employees may actually leave their job if they're expected to be there five days a week, correct? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of employees who have chosen to leave companies and organizations that don't offer workplace flexibility. And that's, again, where I would recommend that hybrid option, because I think a lot of people, they're not looking to be fully remote. They're looking for some kind of flexibility. But to answer your question, what are companies doing? Um, So some of them are just having return to office policies. Um, Some of them have policies where you you have a card and you swipe in and you swipe out so that the Wizard of Oz can tell if you've been in the office or not. I think that's a little weird. Um, And if you don't trust your employees to go to work, that's a whole other conversation. But yes, some employees, some companies are doing that return to office and making very clear what those policies are. I do think that they might have a talent retention issue. And I think to a certain degree, some of them might even be um, shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. I mentioned in my policy focus that when companies have a remote work policy, they're able to draw from a talent pool, possibly all across the country, which means they really get a diverse group of excellent employees who most importantly are qualified. So As a business owner, and I know you're a business owner, isn't it wonderful to pick from the most talented, qualified person, no matter what state um, they're, they're living in? 
And I also look at the tax perspective as well. I want to get into policies, tax policies specifically. Now, I know that employees and employers are making decisions that make the most sense for themselves, but there are yeah. some tax implications based on just how states have organized their tax code, the federal government has organized their tax mm -hmm. code on what we always used to have, people going into work, that being the common thing. What kind of tax policies are hindering those who are working remotely and independent contractors? Excellent question. I would start by saying that most tax policies are hindering a lot of things. But um, to, to answer your specific question, let's start at the state level. Um, so a lot, or about seven states actually, have a convenience of the employer law. So that means, for example, if I lived in Iowa, but my employer was in California, I would be paying taxes based on California. So it is for the convenience of the employer, as that name suggests. And that does make things a little bit messy for me as an individual when I file my taxes. I would encourage states to repeal laws like that, that will give employees and businesses alike a little bit more flexibility. Um, the second big thing is at the federal level, and this affects a lot of personal income taxes. Many of us have heard of SALT, which basically is a tax policy that allows people to deduct a certain portion of their state income taxes from their federal tax bill. Well, that works in the favor of people who live in um, states that are taxed at a very high rate, like New York and California. So what the SALT um, tax policy does is it doesn't really incentivize businesses to move outside of their state or really incentivize people because they, be they weirdly benefit from living somewhere where they pay a lot of taxes. I would also offer that studies show that the SALT um, policy, it affects basically high net worth individuals. So it is something that um, we could get rid of at the federal level and I think it would free up opportunities for businesses and employers. And are there any proposals in various states or in the federal government to reform some of our tax policy to accommodate the remote work lifestyle? Um, there was talk of repealing taxes always comes up every once in a while, but I haven't seen anything moving forward um, in a very strong or meaningful way. There is one other thing I want to offer that states can do at their level but it is um, repealing or at least modifying licensing laws and um, employment laws around things like uh, parental leave and things like that. The more regulations we have at the state or the federal level, the harder it is to open up a business. So if states can reform or repeal some of these regulations, it will free up that opportunity for businesses and employees alike. And final question for you, do you think remote work is here to stay? I hope so. Um, I think it has benefited so many people. It's benefiting businesses. I think I might have mentioned this earlier, but they save about $10,600 per year per employee. So wow. with those kinds of numbers and the productivity that you get, um, I think that businesses would be wise to keep a remote work policy. Well, there's so much to look at this in this policy focus. I recommend that people go do go to IWF.org. It is called, very simply, Remote Work. You can take a look at it. Um, but Ellie, thank you so much for your work on this. We so appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. 
And thank you for joining us. Before you go, IWF does want you to know that we rely on the generosities of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting IWF.org backslash donate. That is IWF.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help, and we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at IWF, thanks for watching.